Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I am not an expert in any area that matters when it comes to what I discuss. I encourage you to look into things on your own and send me correcting information if you come across it. Also, I swear, I don't think I swear a lot, but when I get excited about something or if I'm super passionate about something, the foul language just kind of slips out. So listener discretion is advised. Thank you for listening to Living Through Extinction. I'm Ruby Palmer, and this is episode 22. situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas, apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear through the southern Hello. I'm sad. We've lost another legend. Everyone in the skeptical community knows how important Ruth Bader Ginsburg was to the U.S. justice system. She was one of the greatest voices of reason, and for that, she was respected by skeptics everywhere. My place of employment did work on a fantastic book about her. I'll have to watch for it to become available. This force of a woman was born in 1933. She excelled in school. But her mother never got to see her graduation, as she passed from cancer the day before. That has a familiar ring to it for me. I was about to graduate when my dad passed of cancer as well. She was named Joan Ruth Bader at birth, but started going by Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she married law student Martin Ginsburg. She had her first child in 1955, and then her husband was drafted for two years into military service. When he came back, he continued his education, and Ruth finally enrolled at Harvard Law. When her husband Martin became ill from cancer, Ruth took care of him, helped keep him up to date on his own studies, took care of their kids, and continued her own studies, staying at the top of her class the whole time. Also, through all of this, she was one of just nine women out of 500 students. She put up with her share of discrimination and misogyny even being chastised for taking a man's spot at Harvard Law. Ugh. She showed everyone, though, and when her husband recovered from his illness, they both became law school graduates. Her at the top of her class, of course. She was 26. She went on to write a book on Swedish civil procedure practice before directing the Women's Rights Project of the American Civil Liberties Union in the 70s. While holding this position, she successfully argued six landmark cases before the U.S. Supreme Court against gender discrimination. She was about equality for all, and though she was famous for women's rights issues, she was also an avid defender of the rights of men. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the first female professor at Columbia to earn tenure, was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia in 1980, and was finally appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States in 1993. As a Supreme Court justice, she wrote the majority opinion in United States versus Virginia, which made it so qualified individuals could not be denied admission to Virginia Military Institute just because they are female. She is also responsible for the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, which probably would have never happened without her passion for gender equality. This makes it easier for women to take a stand when being compensated differently from their equal male counterparts. Finally, this force of a woman missed zero days of oral arguments until her 2018 term. 
During this time when she missed no days, she underwent chemo for pancreatic cancer, had surgery for colon cancer, and her husband passed away. She missed zero days of oral arguments for any of this. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's accomplishments in a world where women were still trying to prove their worth were reached through great difficulty, yet with unimagined success. Her presence is already missed by people who never even knew her. I can't imagine the heartbreak her children and grandchildren are feeling. Such a beautiful, powerful force that's been there for you your whole life is suddenly gone. And I'm not even going to get into what this means for the future of the United States. Maybe on another episode. My condolences to her family and to those in the U.S. who remain reasonable. I am so, so sorry. On to the environment. Climate change and Palm Springs. A new study by UC Riverside has been published in the journal Climate Change. It has suggested that climate change will have a devastating effect on Palm Springs tourism. Thousands of people go to Palm Springs every year to escape the cold winter months in their hometowns. These visitors begin to arrive in November, and many stay right up until April. Unfortunately, the study estimates that the number of days above 85 degrees Fahrenheit, 29.444 degrees Celsius to the rest of the world, will increase up to 150% by the end of the century. Obviously, this is due to climate change and global warming. This is the kind of heat that will prevent tourists from getting out and experiencing the outdoor activities of Palm Springs, and those outdoor activities are what they are famous for. Many may just change their destination completely for the winter months going forward. Nobody wants to be cold, but most want to be able to be outside without being oppressively hot either. Either way, with the expected heat increases, the economy of Palm Springs may take a hit. In Wildlife this month, I read a few articles about acorn woodpeckers, and damn, are they ever warlike little buggers. They live in large groups in western oak woodlands, where they store thousands of acorns every year by jamming them into holes they make in granary trees and other objects. This feels impossible, but is apparently true. One granary tree may have up to 50,000 holes in it, and each hole will have an acorn in it in the fall time. Notice I said granary trees and other objects. Acorn woodpeckers have acquired the habit of using man-made structures in the same way, annoyingly making holes in fence posts, utility poles, and even buildings. A lot has been learned about the strange, somewhat violent nature of these birds thanks to a study published in the journal Current Biology. Researchers used radio telemetry technology to track the birds for the study. These tags were described as sitting on them like a rock climbing harness with a fanny pack on back. Some interesting facts about acorn woodpeckers. There is always a group member on guard to protect the horde from thieves, the horde usually being a tree full of acorns. Multiple males and females combine efforts to raise the young in a single nest. You can have up to seven breeding males and three breeding females in a group. The young can sometimes stay with the nest for years and help raise further young. What's truly fascinating is their violent nature. You have females destroying the eggs of other females they share nests with, which makes me wonder how they ever multiply. Then there are the territory battles. Quoted from Science Daily, When acorn woodpeckers inhabiting high-quality territories die, nearby birds begin a battle royale to win the vacant spot. Unquote. The tracking has shown the immense effort that is put forth for both travel and fighting. Many coalitions of three or four birds fight and posture themselves on branches waiting to attack or defend. One group will inevitably win, beating all others, and that group will get the spot. This behavior is apparently very rare in animals. 
Now get this, they have spectators. Birds fly in from more than three kilometers away to come find a good seat on a nearby branch to watch the show from. In fact, the largest battles can attract more than 30 spectator birds, which is about one-third of the population in an area. When this activity is going on, an approaching person can hear the distinct cries and see birds flying all around appearingly madly. That's not all, though. There's another type of warfare being fought for breeding spots. These birds just want to fight, man. Both male and female non-breeding birds will form fighting groups from neighboring territories to come in to battle for co-breeding positions. When these acorn woodpeckers are fighting over something, they will return to battle day after day, battling for up to 10 hours at a time. There are still questions to be answered. Like how do they keep it up for so long and when do they eat? Also, there has been some evidence that they may make friendships with each other, so that is being explored as well. Overall, they're really violent little fuckers though. And finally, one of my favorite reads this last couple weeks was about one of my favorite topics in archeology. span Stonehenge. Acoustical properties of the stones and the placement of these stones at Stonehenge were first revealed several years back. But more recently, some researchers decided to attempt to prove it would work as expected. Researchers from both the University of Salford and English Heritage used laser scan data of Stonehenge obtained from studies of other researchers to recreate what is there now. They then used data from yet another study effort to recreate the stones which are believed to be missing. They treated the simulated stones to exactly copy the acoustical properties previously identified in the remaining stones and built a 112th scale model to do testing on. Once they were satisfied they had accurately copied the structures, speakers and mics were set up in and around it. It was found that the makeup and shape of the stones contribute to reverberation on the inside of the monument. In other words, verbal communication may be enhanced. Great for a single speaker trying to be heard by many people. Now, this is just hypothesizing, but so far it seems to be ringing true. The research was published in the Journal of Archaeological Science. They believe it would not have been built strictly for its acoustical properties and say it was most likely used for burial rituals. And I feel like the acoustical properties would be an added feature so the person speaking at the ritual could be more easily heard. This week I looked into climate anxiety. It may not surprise many of you to hear that fear, grief, stress, and anxiety around climate issues are growing. There are now several publications about psychology and climate change, and experts are expressing serious concern about the mental strain on today's youth. The American Psychological Association created a 69-page climate change guide to help mental health care providers. This effort would not have been put forward if there were not a present and growing need for it. It can be overwhelming for some people to wrap their heads around the realities of the climate crisis. And those who have actually survived climate-caused tragedies are experiencing it on an understandably even greater scale. These fears about the current and predicted future state of the environment caused by human-induced climate change can exasperate pre-existing mental health problems. Some cities even have support groups to help people build a resilience to the discussion of the environment and the lack of action issues that cause their despair. A computer science major who was taking a climate-focused class said that she woke up at 2 a.m. one night and cried for two hours about the ocean. I think it's obvious that this is not healthy. We have to care, but we have to take care of ourselves as well. While there is no clinical definition, there is a word for climate-based anxiety and grief. Solastalgia is, as I quote, distress that is produced by environmental change impacting on people while they were directly connected to their home environment, unquote. Dr. Wendy Peterson Boring, an instructor of a climate-focused class at Willamette University in Salem, Oregon, said, quote, 
With the Trump election, the change in my students, the sense of grief and fear and paralysis in the room became palpable, unquote. This was, of course, after everything to do with climate change was eliminated from the White House website. Parenting is hard enough, but how do you calm your child's fears about the planet's future? An increased number of parents are asking for support on how to go about speaking honestly with their kids without terrifying them. In these cases, it is recommended to try and help the kids to feel empowered by helping them take part in some sort of action. This can give a child hope. A growing number of people are now choosing not to have children because more people are worse for the environment. Skeptic science educator and podcaster Cara Santa Maria openly states that she does not plan to have children because of environment and overpopulation issues. I'd like to interrupt this segment with a fun article from The Guardian in December 2019. It was titled The A to Z's of Climate Anxiety. Using the letters of the alphabet, problems and suggestions are listed and detailed explanations are included. While I am going to go through all of them, and I will quote from them directly now and then, I will mostly be giving my own quick personal summary and or opinion of each. So, just for fun, here are the Guardian's A to Z's of climate anxiety. Again, I'm giving you their A to Z words, but I'm putting my opinion in on a lot of these. Disclaimer, disclaimer. All right, A, anxiety. Okay, that was not very creative, but I guess I get it. More and more are feeling the reality of the situation for our children and grandchildren, and the anxiety is growing in severity. B, biodiversity. So many extinctions have happened and continue to happen. We have had a huge loss of wetlands, particularly peatlands, which was my research topic for episode 19, which are some of the most biodiverse ecosystems on the planet. C, community. Our survival depends on leaving the me, myself, and I attitude behind and evolving into a more community-based species. Climate change is happening to all of Earth's inhabitants. Why not work together to make it better? Also, having community is very powerful for people who need to share their feelings of anger, grief, and helplessness. D. Denial. When government bodies block congressional testimony warning about climate change, suppress peer-reviewed government studies funded on its effects, and fire scientists who refuse to alter reports to downplay its human causes, it has a devastating effect on those with their climate concerns based in reality. E. Energy. The need to conserve is, obviously, an important tactic for reducing carbon emissions. F. Fast fashion. Jason and I did some research on some of these issues way back on episode 9. The fashion industry is a massive polluter. G. Greta. Ha! Greta Thunberg, the angry young girl who makes grown men so uncomfortable they feel the need to utter death threats. Talk about pathetic. I feel like G should have been for guilt, though. For the guilt we feel for not doing enough for our children and grandchildren. Moving on. H. Hope. I don't know what to say here. Is there hope? How do we give ourselves and our children hope? I can't answer any of this without definitive knowledge, so again moving on. I. Information. Extreme weather events. Dire research findings. Ecological catastrophes. Forest fires. Starving polar bears. So much information is so easily attained today, and when you have that much coming at you all at once like that, it can be very overwhelming. I would also like to add that we should be teaching children the critical skills that are required to determine true information from false beginning at a young age. J. Jet anxiety. New one on me, but apparently there's a term for it. Now, I am a Métis Swedish mix. My grandfather was Swedish, but I have no idea how to say this term. So, this term, it's a Swedish term, is, I'm going to give it a shot, Fligskim. 
F L Y G S C A M. Flagscam? Flagscam? Flagscam. I don't know. But the term means flying shame. I may not have heard of it, but apparently it has gone mainstream. Flagscam? Anyway, don't be ashamed, man. Sometimes a person just has to fly. Okay, kids. They will learn about it one way or another. So be honest in as gentle a way as possible. They're the whole reason the future of this planet matters, after all. Though, as I mentioned earlier, many are choosing not to have kids to keep from adding to the current issues. L. Loss. The reality of climate change is physically unavoidable in some places. These locations see loss and grief as dominant emotions. M. Milk. I guess dairy is bad for the environment because of the industry. And even plant-based milks have their issues. Some come in hard to recycle packaging. I spoke about some packaging issues on episode 18. And then there are things like almond farming. In places where it popped up in California, the land water is being sucked dry and people who intended to live their lives out in these areas are seeing their wells, their only sources of water, dry up. N. No kids. <laughs> well, the more people, the more resources required, right? The less there is for equal quality of life. In fact, a Swedish study in 2017 came to the estimation that having one fewer child per family can save an average of 58.6 tons of carbon every year. Some also find it unethical to bring kids into a world so uncertain as I mentioned earlier. Oh, oceans. There are all sorts of things to be anxious about when it comes to oceans. Jason and I covered sea level rise on episodes 3 and 4, and I covered ocean acidification on episode 20. P. Paralysis. It's shown here as a feeling of helplessness and said to be a common response to catastrophic ecological news. Q. Quinoa? What the fuck? It's one of my favorites. Not cold, though. I don't do quinoa salads. I like my quinoa hot. Sadly, its status as a superfood has caused its popularity to rise to the point where unsustainable farming techniques are being used to keep up with demand. And it says here that this means fewer llamas, but it doesn't go into why this means fewer llamas. I must have missed a paragraph somewhere or something. And it ends this part of the statement with, quote, Can we please stop eating Satan's cereal? Llamas are great and we need some good news. Unquote. I do not understand. But on to R. Resilience. We must build some in order to endure the physical and mental impacts of climate change. S. Single-use plastics. While plastics have come up again and again, I should probably do an episode on plastic alone. The different kinds, good and bad, etc. Plastic issues already appeared in Living Through Extinction's episode 1 on credit cards, 5 on coffee, 7 on single-stream recycling, 18 on packaging, and 21 on makeup at the very least. T. Tories. I have to admit, I do not feel knowledgeable enough about UK politics to talk about a specific political group. So I will just tell you what it says in this A to Z list I have here. It says that the government has implemented only one of the 25 recommendations by the UK Committee on Climate Change on their 2019 report on progress. It also says that the fracking ban looks like good news, as long as it doesn't turn out to be a short-lived publicity stunt, but that 2025 and 2030 targets will be missed by an even larger margin than last year. That's what it says here. I have no legitimate opinion to offer here, as I am not educated on the topic to provide one. You, Urgency. Often the urgency is not felt as much by those not directly experiencing it. 
Those who have seen their homes change in their lifetimes experience much higher anxiety related to the urgency of climate change issues than someone whose home area has seen little to no change at all. V. Veganism. It says here that people feel profound discomfort around vegans. I think that's funny, that some meat-eaters just can't understand it, so they just decide they are going to be against it. We're all different, man. Someone not being like you does not make them evil. Jeez. Oh, but there are problems with veganism, though. Its rise has led to concerns about intensive monocultures and highly processed vegan foods. W. Wipes. We use 11 billion wipes a year. Whoa, baby. This is catastrophic for the environment, clogging water systems and choking fish. The use of wipes has been, and I quote, unequivocally terrible, changing the shape of rivers and threatening marine life, unquote. XR, really? We couldn't come up with the next word? Just kidding, there probably aren't any that are climate change related unless the X-ray fish is endangered? They have the XR as being for extinction rebellion. I know, that's E-R. I didn't make the list. I also had to look up this one. I noticed that they also use the extinction symbol in their logo. Extinction Rebellion is a global environmental movement with the aim of, quote, using nonviolent civil disobedience to compel government action to avoid tipping points in the climate system, biodiversity loss, and the risk of social ecological collapse. Whew, unquote. That was a mouthful. On to why. Why. Youth. This one is not the same as the one about children. The previous was about having them. This one is about the youth that exist and the fact that they are suffering from the worst of climate anxiety. Z. Zero waste. Not too many people can pull this off. I mean, I strive to be better all the time, but I cannot imagine reaching the point of zero waste. If this intrigues you, I suggest following a podcast called How to Save the World. One of the hosts is phenomenal at the whole zero waste thing, and you can get so many great ideas and recommendations from that podcast. So that's the A to Z of climate anxiety. I guess I learned a bit from it. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, professor of psychology Susan Clayton says, quote, We can't just all curl up in a ball and wait for the end of the world. She recommends finding a group on climate change and joining it. It could be a protest group, a letter writing campaign, volunteering for cleanups in your area, or walking or biking to raise money and awareness for what you care about. Inaction makes one feel helpless. By taking even small forms of action, you can give yourself back a sense of hope. Do your best to do right. Reduce your own carbon emissions, eat a bit less meat, reuse when possible, reduce your own waste, or even write a blog. Sometimes just living your life based on your values can offer hope and help ease anxiety. This week for the Things That Make Me Happier Smile segment, I can't really call it a happy story per se, but it did touch my heart, and I want to share it. I will be reading this directly from the Stories for the Soul Facebook site. I think I've shared at least one story from there before. If you like this kind of thing, check them out and give them a like. This is a story from a teacher. This starts my 22nd year of teaching middle school. Yesterday was quite possibly one of the most impactful days I have ever had. I tried a new activity called the baggage activity. I asked the kids what it meant to have baggage, and they mostly said it was hurtful stuff you carry around on your shoulders. I asked them to write down on a piece of paper what was bothering them, what was heavy on their heart, what was hurting them, etc. No names were to be on a paper. They wadded the paper up and threw it across the room. They picked up a piece of paper and took turns reading out loud what their classmates wrote. After a student read a paper, I asked who wrote it and if they cared to share. I'm here to tell you I have never been so moved to tears as to what these kids opened up about and shared with the class. Things like suicide, parents in prison, 
drugs in their family, being left by their parents, death, cancer, losing pets. One said their gerbil died because it was fat. We giggled. And on and on. The kids who read the papers would cry because what they were reading was tough. The person who shared, if they chose to tell us it was them, would cry sometimes too. It was an emotionally draining day, but I firmly believe my kids will judge a little less, love a little more, and forgive a little faster. This bag hangs by my door to remind them that we all have baggage. We will leave it at the door. As they left, I told them, they are not alone. They are loved, and we have each other's back. I am honored to be their teacher. This is credited to Karen Wunderlich Lowe. Thank you, Karen, for sharing your story. It gave me those warm fuzzies, and that's rare on the internet today. That closes out everything I wanted to share this week. Thank you for listening, and may your health and sanity be replenished daily in these mad times. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro and outro for the show, and thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for their musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I still need more sounds, so if you have a short sound clip or if you want to sing my topic headings or something and send them to me, I will give them serious consideration. I need something different to bring in each segment. Skepticism, environment, wildlife, archaeology, a main research topic, and then the things that make me smile. I hope you will join me in two weeks for episode 23 of Living Through Extinction. situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening. The uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. Sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear through the southern...